0: Sitting at the house of mercy on the water's edge Was a man who met the Savior, so the gospel said Waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame Till an angel it was told down from heaven came near and far, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. We're just sitting at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir.
1: That our basic needs for food and love are so mixed and mingled and entwined that we cannot straightly think of one without the other. That's MFK Fisher.
2: That's good. I like that. Makes me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, we're so glad to see all of you out here today. I heard on, was on the on the radio coming over here. If we just think about all the buds that are going to come up as a result of all this gray weather and rain, it makes it a little nicer.
1: That's a good way of thinking about. Yeah, it. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah, the grass is going to get greener.
2: It sure will.
1: Yeah. yeah. If the sun ever comes out.
2: that will be. It will. It's. Uh, yeah. It's uh, but, but you know what? It uh, feels sunny in here. It does. Yeah. I, have, I might have a fever. That could, that could be it. I don't know. Uh, but we're glad you're all here for all. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. For all of you listening on the podcast and all of you watching at home, we're so glad to have you here, and uh, certainly glad to have uh, you here.
0: Me and Mike today, which means the rest of you have to sing extra loud to make yeah, up yeah. for the missing band members. So. It does sound so good though. Just, just to yeah. yeah, it does. Uh,
2: yes. Well, uh, thank you. Are, is there going to be a special music uh, between?
0: The well, two? we were thinking that today would be um, extra hymn Sunday. People love that. So, um, as we are, you know, going through the announcements and the first hymn, just you know, page through the hymnal, and, and when it comes time for special music, you guys will be the guests, and you're going to choose a hymn, and Mike and I will do our best to make it happen for you.
1: Right.
0: You get to choose, Mike. By the way, the person you get to choose the volunteer. Yeah. Okay. All, right. all right, so start hey, looking around.
1: I want to point out that if you want to follow along, the order of service is in the hymnal, like on the third page or so, and it's also online at houseofmercy.org.
2: Yeah, if you want the particulars of what songs we're going to play or who, it, what the t- sermon is, or, you know, yeah, it's all right there. I uh, also want to thank all of you who continue to support House of Mercy through your giving. You can uh, put money in the gift box in the back or... Um, Use that QR code, or for those of you who give online and monthly, we are so grateful.
1: This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it.
0: One, two, three. This world is not my home, Well, I'm just a-passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And I can't feel at home In this world anymore They're all expecting me And that's one thing I know My Savior pardoned me And now I onward go I know He'll take me through Though I am weak and poor And I can't feel at home Friend like you if heaven's not my home then lord what will i do the angels beckon me from heaven's open door and i can't feel at home in this world anymore no i can't feel at home in this world anymore
2: Won't you please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, bring your peace to us. Make us aware of our clenched fists, clenched jaw, fight or flight twitch just below the surface. Make us aware of any fear and sadness that we might push aside. Sit with us, that we may breathe in your peace and release. Loosen and let go, trust and love. Breathe peace, fill hope. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ be with you all. Let's uh, exchange the sign of peace in some awkward way with one another. (laughs)
0: From the top. When he cometh, when he cometh to make up his jewels, all his jewels, precious jewels, his loved and his own, like the stars of the morning. His bright crown adorning, they shall shine in their beauty, bright gems for his crown. He will gather, he will gather the gems for his kingdom, all the pure ones, all the bright ones, his loved and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright Gems for His crown Little children, little children Who love their Redeemer Are the jewels, precious jewels His loved and His own Like the stars of the morning His bright crown adorning They shall shine in their beauty Bright gems for His crown that was great
2: won't you please join me now in our prayers of community i'll end each prayer with god in your mercy and i invite you to respond hear our prayer god of mercy we pray for the promise of spring new life green buds pushing up from the saturated soil all flora and fauna, that they would find untainted the nutrients they need to thrive and grow so that we may too continue to thrive and grow. At this time of renewal and birth and more light, help us to renew our commitment to care for your creation. From what we eat to how we get around to how we share what we have, that we may see that our place on this earth is only one place. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for those in power, that they would properly understand their charge to serve, to regard first and fully those with less power and greatest need. Overwhelm them with the possibility of compassion and essential obligation. And help us to set aside all vile and vitriol fomented by frustration and sadness that we might too find new ways to love our neighbor. God in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for those in our lives and those who pass through our lives, who are in need of physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. We pray for those who are fighting deathly illnesses. We pray for those who are living with cancer. We pray for those with other grave illnesses in this chaotic time. We pray for those we love who are dying. Give them every measure of peace and a palpable love. We pray for those who mourn the death of a dear one. We pray for those of us with mental illness. We know that it is magnified in this time of continued isolation. We pray for those of us who are facing these troubled times in prison, and those who are imprisoned by addictions. We pray for those who are profoundly lonely. For all of these, we ask, bless them, take them in your arms, hold them to you, give them what they need, healing, grace, understanding, acceptance, or peace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we do not always love you with all that we are. We have hurt people in our lives by the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. We know that you will judge us with your grace. God in your mercy. God of mercy, hear us now in this extended time of silence. Amen.
0: Death is an angel sent down from above Sent for the buds and the flowers we love Truly to sow for in heaven's own way Each soul is a flower in the master's bouquet The master's bouquet, beautiful flowers that will never decay, gathered by angels and carried away forever to bloom in the master's bouquet. Loved ones are passing. And each hour passing away as life of a flower But every bud and each blossom someday Will bloom as a flower in the Master's boat that will never decay, hathered by angels and carried away, forever to bloom in the master's bouquet.
3: The scripture tonight is from John 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. word of the Lord.
1: I'm not sure when I started feeling this way, but I think that it's true that I've sort of given up the idea that I will ever understand like anything. God, Jesus, Jim, the universe, me. I baffle myself. I mean, and what even is a self? I mean, I've always recognized that I'm not capable of comprehending like having some totally encompassing knowledge, of anything. But the pursuit of understanding was so often exhilarating. I remember quoting Anselm in my seminary application, talking about faith-seeking understanding. It was all I wanted to do. But time moves on. And lately, I feel more like throwing up my hands, I give up. Maybe not entirely, and it isn't a bad feeling at all, actually. It's sort of liberating, happy. It could have something to do with having spent over half a century on Earth and noticing that I haven't really made much progress in the search for understanding. I feel like I understand less now than I did 20 years ago. Often I've been pretty sure about something only to end up changing my mind. I, I can't help but observe over time how often I've been wrong or how strongly I believed something that I no longer believe. And so I guess that makes me a little more wary about that pursuit. Like, okay, maybe it's because I was in grad school in the late 80s But I was very excited about the direction that critical theory was taking. Deconstruction, Derrida, this, this recognition that much of what had been foundational in the history of thought considered to be objective truth was actually not. It was defined more by interested power structures than like empirical observation. Even science was often not objective as Foucault argued. It was subject to the biases of its practitioners, allowing powerful sectors to conceal systems of depression through, like, definitions of mental illness or the medical categorization of sexual deviation. I mean, you could go on and on. This sort of deconstruction seemed so good and necessary to me. It was exciting, and it seemed like this critical theory could change the world. It it would help us see how racism and colonialism and misogyny were part of the formation of the pillars of our religious, economic, political, literary belief systems. When the pillars cracked, it seemed like good things would grow out of the cracks. And it seemed like it was working, like there were these openings for the LGBTQ LGBTQ community, there was the Marriage Act, there was so much creative questioning of the male, hetero, normative, white canon. How could that not turn out well? (laughs) Sending these cracks through the pillars. Fight the powers. I didn't expect that it would create the conditions where people felt empowered to fight the power by sending death threats to Anthony Fauci for right-wing conspiracy to blossom, sowing distrust of the CDC, public health recommendations about masks and vaccines, protests at school board meetings, attacks on teachers, death threats to election officials. It's just, it's surprising to me that what seemed inevitably helpful surely bound to be progressive, a questioning and a certain distrust of the institution because who does it serve? has fed Trumpism, stopped the steal, QAnon conspiracy, t- attacking the press, the insurrection at the Capitol. Not the revelation of truth and beauty and liberation and equality, but this post-fact anti-science fighting of the powers. I was all in. Questioning authority, always I thought, that is a good way to seek understanding. Maybe that needed a little more nuance. I like the story that's in the scripture for this third Sunday of Easter, though I'm sure I don't understand it, and I'm sure I'm projecting. But there's something about Peter here announcing, I'm going fishing, that I just love. Like, He has been through it. Years of excited, eager attempts to do the right thing, say the right thing, display his understanding, and he was almost always wrong. Never really quite seeming to understand what Jesus was doing or trying to reveal. The Gospel of John doesn't include the scene where Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, but... He's the same sort of often misguided character. Jesus moves to wash the disciples feet and Peter says, never, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus is like, Peter, man, relax. You don't understand. Jesus tells the disciples they can't follow him where he's going. And Peter says, what? Why not? I would die for you. Jesus says, really? I don't think so. You'll deny me three times before the night is through. Peter rushes to protect Jesus in the garden, pulls out a sword, and cuts off a man's ear. Jesus says, put your sword back in your sheath, Peter. When Mary Magdalene tells the disciples she's been to the tomb and the body is gone, Peter takes off running. But the text notes that the other disciples beat him there. That seems funny. Peter doesn't seem to know himself. He overestimates himself. It's like he keeps thinking he understands, and Jesus keeps telling him, sort of quieting him, shutting him up, sort of. Peter was probably surprised at the way things went down. Like, he thought his leader was going to lead a challenge to the powers, religious and political. And I don't know, maybe a sort of reformation, like good things were going to happen. Jesus dying on a cross, apparently defeated by the institutions of power, probably didn't seem like a good direction to Peter. Yes, Jesus ends up rising from the dead, but it probably wasn't that obvious what good that did, how it benefited the world. Jesus comes back from being dead, and, and he doesn't exactly make everything super clear for the masses. He doesn't go to a holy place or Caesar's house. He appears in a garden on a lonesome road in a small apartment behind closed doors to just a few people. The story that Jen read kind of makes me wonder what Jesus has been doing since his last resurrection appearance. Doesn't seem like he's been going through the streets declaring that death has been defeated. Maybe he has been doing nothing special at all. Wandering the beach, collecting driftwood for his little fire. Maybe after being dead, he has a great appreciation for what people sometimes call the small things in life, how it feels to walk through the sand with bare feet, eating, breathing, the sun on his face. There's something refreshing, refreshing about this story to me, almost breezy and funny in comparison to some of the more arduous discourses the author of John takes us through. All these dense and sometimes difficult to read, wordy, twisty discourses. I'm in the Father, and you and me, and I in you. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Also, henceforth, you know him and have seen him. I mean, what? It's like there's been all these intense theological monologues trying to communicate something not very clearly, in my opinion, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, love, death, and resurrection. That's almost like Peter, after so much, after failing to understand again and again, is finally just like, oh my God, blah, 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 whatever. I'm going fishing. I have this image of him throwing up his hands when he says that. And everyone else is like, yeah, okay, we're coming too. Like, enough with the discourses, enough already, trying to make sense of the ungraspable. I'm going fishing, out in a little boat to float on the deep. Let the ungraspable swirl all around me. Some interpreters take this fishing trip to be an indication that the disciples have failed in their call to be disciples. They're going back to what they know, what they understand, their old jobs. Fishing instead of moving forward as witnesses. But maybe they aren't regressing. Maybe they're relaxing. Jesus says it's finished on the cross in the Gospel of John. But what do you do after it's finished? Maybe you're free to enjoy your day? This, here, now, nothing to fear in some profoundly thorough way, even if you haven't managed to understand it all. Maybe it's a sign of some blossoming faith or trust when finally Peter is able to let go of his striving, breathe, go fishing. The other disciples say, we'll go with you. And for once they're not vying and arguing and proving anything and worrying about who's the greatest, they're just getting into a boat to float on the water. They're out all night and they don't catch any fish. But maybe they're fine with that. They have a lot to talk about. Maybe they're laughing and drinking wine. Maybe they aren't even really all that concerned about catching anything. Isn't that how fishing trips go? When Jesus appears on the shore, he calls out to the disciples, children, you have no fish, have you? And some people who read this think that Jesus is scolding them, calling them children, like they've been immature, unproductive. But earlier on, Jesus told Nicodemus that you have to be born again of water before you can enter the kingdom. Maybe they're being born again of water. Maybe they have become like children. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus blesses the fishing trip. He calls out from the shore and tells them to put the net down on the other side of the boat, and and then they catch a lot of fish, 153. It feels more gracious than it seems like he's reprimanding them. St. Jerome claimed that it was known to the ancients that there were 153 kinds of fish in the whole world, and the fish stood for soul, so that specific number meant that they caught every kind of person, everyone, all souls were saved. I like that all souls were saved thing, but, but maybe it's just like this abundance of a very ordinary thing. Fish, food. I wonder if this whole scene is just more about something very ordinary. Why Peter is fishing naked? I don't know. Why that detail is recorded, I'm not sure. But I like it. It's funny to me. Peter recognizes Jesus, but he's naked. So then he puts on his clothes and jumps in the water. (laughs) To try to get to Jesus fast? The other disciples row the boat to shore. And then Jesus makes them breakfast. What could be more ordinary And something about it seems so sweetly loving. Moms and grandmas are usually the ones making the breakfast. And breakfast after being dead or after being born again might might be amazing. Being able to smell, to feel the warmth of the fire, the taste of charcoal broiled fish at sunrise on a beach. The extraordinary ordinary. The question that the church literature suggests that we should contemplate on this third Sunday of Easter is how does the community experience the continuing presence of the risen Lord in our reality today? I'm thinking it might be food and love. Jesus' questions to Peter sort of center things Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Love, food. Maybe he's telling Peter, don't worry if you don't understand everything, if you haven't figured it all out. Maybe erratic, fragile, shaky, uncertain faith, subject to occasional denials, is even okay in the end. Just do this. Feed my sheep. Maybe that's what it's all about. Feeding and loving. I'm not saying that that is easy or that it lacks complexity, but still it seems pretty concrete, like palpable or something, tactile. And it's also enough to occupy a person, I don't know, most hours of the day. Prepare soil, plant seeds, tend to the tomato plant, write letters to cousins, call your brother, make sure your dad has food. Some love comes pretty naturally. Some love needs more meditation, practice, prayer, more dissolving of the ego, but it's almost always different than like grasping something intellectually. Food and love go together almost as much as anything I can think of, mixed and mingled and entwined so that we we can't straightly think of one without the other. And if that's the mission, Well, there's plenty to do. You don't have to commit to reading all the church dogmatics, though that could be fun, in order to be occupied with the heart of it all. It's nothing special in a way, but it's the very core of it, the core of life, really. Food, the nutrients essential to cells, to every organism in order to sustain vital processes, Food equals life at the most basic level. And love, I think, is the same. Feeding others, loving other people, other beings, plants, animals, the soil. Loving and feeding covers a whole spectrum of needs. Spiritual, emotional, physical. It's not like they're opposite ends of some sort of false binary physical versus spiritual or something. But eating and loving do cover a wide swath of territory. Texture and color, desire, memory, fragrance, mouths and hands and hearts and guts, sweetness and romance, protein and family, friends, sex, limoncella, lima beans, lentils. Basic, but it is a wild and wide terrain, endless seeming. I'm not saying I understand it, but you don't really have to in order to participate. Throw it in your mouth. Chew. The story is about the beginning of the church in a way. And Jesus doesn't show up in some sort of sanctioned holy place. He gives the disciples some breakfast on the beach, not a list of dogmatic or liturgical imperatives. He comes back from the dead and cooks some food. His disciples are hungry. He gives them something to eat, tells them to do likewise, feed the sheep, give something to people who are hungry lemon bars, roast beef, a little empathy. You can bake a cherry pie for your racist neighbor or a cherished friend. That's the church, the heart. And the soul, the body, and the blood a meal.
0: There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over.
2: You've been listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad.
0: In the